Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me this morning. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. If you haven't, you probably should. Uh, the main theme of both of those movies is the value of family. And nearly every Christmas movie that we see, it's all about family. And how many of you know family is very, very important? I want to give you a verse this morning, and it's Psalm 68, verse uh, 5 and 6. The father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God says the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful to be here today. Let your word come alive in our lips and in our hearts. Lord, we give you the glory in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. A week ago, Carrie and I was driving back from Oklahoma City, and um, we began to talk about presents we'd gotten at Christmas. How many of you remember some of the presents you got as a kid? So I think I remembered more than Carrie did. I, I remember when Steve and I were small, we, we got these little plastic rifles and western hats that we had, and one year we got little wooden guitars, and uh, one year we uh, got a little uh, mock-up, a miniature Texaco station with a little uh, truck that delivered the gas and the pumps out front. And the reason we got that is Dad had a Texaco service station, and as a promotion, they, they had a little Texaco station, which I wish I really had today. That probably would be worth some money, but probably Steve and I wrecked the station uh, before today. And uh, I remember getting a, a little package of the Green Army soldiers. Did anybody ever have, have those that you got in the dirt and you played? And anyway, we, we had a lot of memories of a, a lot of those things. And uh, we, we had that conversation. And then I reminded myself, uh, years and years ago, uh, Dad had a couple of oil rigs and he was very busy. And he called me and he said, son, could you go get your mother a present from me? And so Dad calls the day before Christmas. And he said, son, can you, you know, get your mother a present and, and it could be for me? And I said, sure, Dad. So, uh, mother was going to have a good year that year. So I went to Graham's Jewelry and I found this big, chunky gold bracelet that cost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And when mother opened that present from dad, she was really excited. And dad has never asked me from that day to buy another present. <laughs> Anybody got one of those stories? That's a true story. Dad was in the early service this morning, so I'm sure he remembered that. He didn't have much to say to me when he left. But uh, anyway, but the greatest gift of all is that baby who's in the manger in Bethlehem. That's the best gift we've ever gotten. And so when we look at this uh, Home Alone movie, and really we gave clips from both of them, it's not long that Kevin really realizes that his family's important. And there are some things that really come to the surface, really two realizations in the movie. The first one is this supposed freedom that he has because of no parental supervision is, is really cool. I mean, there's no rules, there's no supervision. So through the movie, at the first part, you see that he gets to eat what he wants to eat, right? 
Uh, he gets to sleep in any bed he wants to sleep in. He can go to bed at any time he wants to go to bed. Uh, th there's a lot of things that, that he can do that he couldn't do if his parents were there. He can watch any movie he now wants to watch. And he even says to himself, hey, I'm watching a movie. Nobody here to stop me. So he thinks this, this parental freedom is really, really good. But, you know, in the real world, no parental uh, supervision uh, does turn out really negative, right? I mean, it's not really good. This supposed freedom doesn't work well. The second thing he realizes is the responsibility he has to take on when the family's gone. So he wishes his family is gone, and he wakes up, and they're gone. They, they've all flown to Paris, France, and they think that Kevin is with them, and of course, he's there by himself for several days. But in that time, th this is some of the things that he, he has to do. He has to go shopping by himself. And if you've seen the movie, he has to explain to the little checkout girl why he's by himself. He now has to defend his house and home from two very inept burglars, uh, Harry and Marv, who show up in the second movie too. And, and, and they are hilarious. And so he has all of these traps, all of these things that he's responsible for. And then he realizes the difficulty of doing all this by himself. So he misses his family, and then the burden shifts to him. Now, as the movie progresses, he realizes how much he misses his family. And not only does he miss his family, but at the beginning of it, we see that his family has some problems. I mean, Buzz is always on him. He's the youngest. He, he gets a lot of the brunt of the things that happen that he doesn't like. But I found out every family has problems. And if you don't know what the problem is in your family, you may be the problem. But anyway, every family has issues. And then one night in the Christmas season at church, uh, not only does Kevin show up with family problems, he sits by the neighbor, the older man you saw in the, the end of the clip, he sits by him and he has family problems. And we don't know exactly what happened, but his son and him had a falling out they don't talk to each other, they don't call each other, they don't celebrate Christmas together, and now he's broken the relationship with his son, the daughter-in-law, and the little granddaughter you saw at the end that he's, he's hugging, now he doesn't get to see her. So Kevin has family problems, the, the older neighbor has family problems, and this is indicative of just the, the world we live in. And so when we go through this area of family, we realize that family is God's idea. How many of you know family is God's idea? I mean, not only this uh, family we see at Bethlehem, but at the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve, and then the ensuing of children. Uh, family is where we receive and we give love. Family is where we care for one another. It's where we learn respect, truthfulness, and honesty. Kindness, responsibility, working together, families where we pass on the concepts of faith and values, and all these qualities should be modeled by parents. That doesn't always happen, does it? And sometimes the parents are worse than the kids. So in the midst of that, we see a lot of the dysfunction that we have in our world because family is so dysfunctional. Now, this first family that we have in the Bible, both Matthew and Luke draws us really close into the scene. And we know that Mary and Joseph are going to Bethlehem. The Romans are occupying their country. The Romans want to have a census. You have to go back to the place where your family originated from. 
the place of your nativity. And so Joseph is taking Mary, his pregnant wife now, great with child, back to Bethlehem. And of course, that's where she's going to give birth. Now, there, there's no room. I, I mean, you know, Motel 6 is full and Holiday Inn Express is full. So there, there's no place for them to lodge. So they end up in a stable. We don't know if it is a, a barn. We don't know if it's a lean-to, a, a brush arbor, a cave. We're really not for sure. But we do know they end up in very, very Spartan, very uh, impoverished conditions. And she, that's where she's going to give birth to the baby. Now, this relationship starts off pretty rocky. Most of you know uh, they're espoused to be married. Let me just tell you what that espousal looks like. It is arranged by parents. Now, I don't know if uh, any of the kids here would want your parents to arrange your marriage. And some of you are looking at me going, hmm, uh, I think it might be a good idea. But anyway, I'm a parent now. But I, I think that this espousal that's going to happen that they're contractually if you will bound to be married and then before the marriage Mary comes up pregnant and of course we know the Holy Spirit overshadows her she's with child and now Joseph finds out that she is going to have a baby now he has a decision to make what's he going to do is he going to you know keep her is he going to put her away uh, publicly is he going to put her away privately and he decides, I'm not going to make a, a, a public spectacle out of this, but what I am going to do, I'm going to put her away privately. And the angel has to come talk to Joseph. Now, I, I think that all of us would agree that if something like this happened, how many of you would say it would take an angel from God? Y'all are so holy. It would take an angel from God to straighten this out. And the angel comes and says, you know, Joseph, uh, your, your spouse, wife, Mary, has child of, of the Holy Spirit. Take her to be your wife. And he does. And now they end up in Bethlehem. And now she's going to have the baby in a manger, which is a feeding trough. It's where the animals feed. So she wraps the baby in swaddling clothes, puts it in the manger, the little baby. And this very special baby is to have a family. God wanted the Son of God to be surrounded in this family scene. There is a mother, there is a baby, and there is an earthly father that's not the real father. God is the father, right? But there is going to be a father that helps raise him, and God wants to be sure he puts his son in a family. God wants everyone to be in a family. And you may feel like you're extremely alone today, but I want to tell you, there is a family to receive you. There's a family to be a part of if you choose to be in a family. And you may feel like I'm the most isolated person here today, but here's the good news. Here is the gospel. God wants you in his family. And that is very, very exciting. So this Bethlehem scene consists of a family. Now, this Christian event that we see, this, this defining moment in history, the birth of Jesus Christ, is really a demarcation for everything. If we would go back just a few years before, before the Common Era, uh, it was B.C. before Christ, A.D., which really means after uh, Christ, but th there are some Latin words in there that I never did really fully understand. However... If you and I today want to see what defined history, we look back to Bethlehem. 
All those who were before, they look forward prophetically to the coming of Messiah, to Bethlehem. So what does that mean? It is a pivotal point, not only in world history, but in our own personal spiritual lives. So this is not just something that just happened. This is something that happened that was big, huge, bombastic. It's the birth of the Messiah, God putting himself in a fleshly body and coming to those he created. Now, we don't have to wonder who came. We don't have to wonder why he came because the scripture is very vivid and clear of why he came and who came. First of all, this is the baby who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is the Savior who came to save his people from their sins. He's the one who fulfills all the prophecies that were spoken before him in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven. So we know who he is. He's the king at birth. He doesn't become the king. He is the king. He doesn't ascend to kingship. He starts out as the king. Can I hear an amen? Isaiah reveals him to us as wonderful, counselor, he is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah further defines him as Emmanuel. This is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now what does that mean? Emmanuel means God with us. So God tabernacled with us, put on an earthly tabernacle and he walked among us and he ministered the cross came the resurrection but the beginning was at Bethlehem so this defining moment of history is very vivid in scripture we know who he is we know why he came and we know that God placed him in a family if you go back to the verse I read to you in Psalm 68 the Bible says God sets the solitary in families the family is the basic social unit for all the world. It's God's idea. When the family doesn't function right, we have a lot of trouble. Can I tell you, in America and around the world, we got a lot of trouble? Now, the government can't fix it. Uh, economics can't fix it. Money can't fix it. How many of you know the family is God's idea? We have to get back to the conception and the idea and the definition of family, not from an education viewpoint, but from a spiritual foundation. So once we get the family right, and we're connected in right family relationship, then things happen in the correct way. Now, it's his will that you and I, every one of us, belong to a family. For some people here, and for a lot of people, uh, that's not a problem at all. I mean, you have a good family, you have a, a great family, but for a lot of people... That's not the case, is it? There's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of loneliness, a lot of hurt, a lot of things that happen that uh, is not really conducive to a great life. So not being connected to a family or the lack of a functioning family is really a problem, not only for the person, but for the community, for the state, and for the world. And so once we have that family right, we get other things right. So a lot of people have experienced this uh, rejection, loneliness, and they've longed for a place to connect. And you may be here today and you say, I really long for a place to connect. Well, here's the good news again. There is a place to connect. Because this is 
Your attention, please. This is, look around you, this is the family of God. You say, well, no, this is a group of people who gather together. No, this is the family of God. And every bit of, and I harp on this, and please forgive me, but I'm going to keep doing it. Every bit of the, the nomenclature, the terms that are in the Bible, speaks of family. You know why we call each other brothers and sisters? Because it's family. You know why we have spiritual mothers and fathers? Because it's family. Do you know we have the same heavenly father? You know why? Because this is family. And once we get that down, we understand that, number one, your life is going to be richer, you're going to be more fulfilled, and you have help surrounding you to do what God has called you to do. Can I hear an amen? Now, Paul deals with this. This is in, in chapter 8 of Romans, verse number 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And we might help Paul out here and say, these are the sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So here Paul is saying that we are the children of God. Now as children, we're the heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, if you look in your Bible, there are a lot of family terms about God wanting you to be in his family. We're born again. How many of you know we have to be born again to be saved? So we're born into the family. We have the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we are, uh, we, we're grafted in, if you will, as orphans. We're also married into this family because we are what? The bride of Christ. So God will say, I'll take you being birthed, adopted, married. I want you in my family. And, and that's what we need. We, we need to be a part of something bigger than us. We need to be part of something that's going somewhere. We need to be a part of something that's helping one another. But let me tell you what the enemy wants to do. Just as he would do it with a deer or a calf or, or a sheep, he wants to isolate you away so he may devour you. And God wants to put you in the herd, in the flock, in the family, so you can be protected, cared for, and watched over. And so therefore, that's why it's important to be part of the family. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. So I think a lot of people are confused today about family because family is really a functional part of growing up and so many things have happened in our culture today that the family fabric has been torn and I think you would agree with that. So what does it look like? Well, we are fed in culture, we're fed in entertainment, a lot of dysfunction. So should the family look like the Simpsons? I hope not. I mean, should, should the family uh, look like the Brady Bunch or uh, the Connors, Blackish, the Goldbergs? Or should we have a throwback to Happy Days or Leave it to Beaver or Father Knows Best? And I would say all of those are probably not a very accurate representation of family. So where do we get our definition? Well, we have to get our definition from the Word of God. How many of you know you have to pass things through Scripture? Now, I deserve a better amen than that. 
I mean, it can't be through culture. It can't be through entertainment. It can't be what my neighbor says. It can't be what the government says. It can't be even what education says. It's got to pass through the screen of Scripture so that I would know this is what a functioning family is. Now, the commonality of family and the, the functional family is not just around location or race or ethnicity, but around values, love, expectations, and aspirations. Now, now what do I mean by that? Families don't have to look like me. Because I can be in a family and I don't look like the person that I'm in the family with. Does that make sense? I don't have the same education maybe as them. I don't have the same uh, economic power, the, the same wealth or money. I don't live maybe in the same town. I, I may not have the same uh, locality, but yet I'm still in that family. Now, you're going to have to catch on here because this is a problem because people and culture are saying, you belong in this family, so you have to look like this person. You've got to talk like that person. You've you got to like the things that they like, and if you don't like them, you're not in that family. But the family of God doesn't go by those rules. You don't have to look like me. I don't have to look like you. I, I, I mean, listen, it, it's not about money, jobs, education. Age is not an issue. It, it's not about nationality. Those things are subservient to the main things and the main thing is is God our father do we share the same blood that was shed at Calvary do we have, have the same values through the word of God do we believe that our savior died for us he resurrected he's in heaven and he's going to come back after us and if that's the case welcome to the family of God Listen, there, there's a lot of diversity in the family of God. And you've heard me say this. Diversity is godly. Division is devilish. And this is what's going to happen to some of you. I can't believe you identify with them. You identify with a Christian. I can't believe because if you are really family, you should identify with us because you're this color, you're, you're this age, you're this education, you have this kind of money. No, those are not the defining factors. The defining factors are not cultural, they are spiritual. Can I get a hearty amen? So that's the family of God. And God is saying, we want you to be in the family of God. The common creator, the common savior, the things that we have common, the things that we believe in. Now, one of the things that's really unique about this is that the Christmas story really kind of portrays some of the... Uh, juxtapose or this against that do you remember here Jesus is born in a stable around animals in a feed trough how many of you know that sounds kind of uh, impoverished to me does it sound impoverished to you he, he, he doesn't have central heat and air there's not a nanny or a nurse there there's no doctor there this is Mary and Joseph giving this delivery in a very unsanitary place but yet wise men and kings that have riches are drawn to this place of poverty do, do you see the the smile in my face here here you have this impoverished scene but yet 
In the days to come, these wise men called kings bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts for a king, not a kid born in a stable. And there's also this, uh, this kind of conflict between this king idea. Because when they show up at Jerusalem, they make this statement to Herod. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Now here's Herod's problem. I thought I was king of the Jews. Uh, well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but you, you see, you have a carnal kingdom, you have an earthly kingdom, but this king is king of kings and lord of lords. This is a spiritual kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. You had to ascend to be a king. He is born the king. I mean, he is royalty from day one, and not you, Herod. So there, there's this conflict of this kingship. The other conflict is the conflict of spirituality. Because when Herod turns to, quote, the wise religious leaders, is there a Messiah coming? Is there someone going to be born? And they have to look up the scripture. How many of you know, you and I should be updated to what the word of God says, not that we don't have to go back and re-examine, that's good. But let me tell you, they were spiritual leaders in title, in position, but certainly not in heart. But yet they didn't know that the Messiah is being birthed in Bethlehem, which the Scriptures already said. They, they, they thought they were in control of the religious rule and the spirituality of that region. But guess what? There was one that was a baby who is the great prophet, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the one who is the Savior. He is the one now who's going to come and take the kingdom of God, right? So do you see the, the one set against the other as you go through this story? And now here we have this works of the law that they are into as opposed to the grace of God that Jesus Christ is bringing. How many of you are glad for the grace of God? Oh, goodness gracious. We are so thankful for the grace of God. And as those apostles would later look at him and those wise men would look at him and, and as we look at him, you know what we see? We see grace, mercy, and truth. The law was exacting. The law began to give us that glimpse of what was to come but couldn't really fulfill it. But how many of you know Jesus Christ could fulfill all of that? So today, you and I should be very grateful that we're in the family of God. That people love you and they care about you. And don't be a vagabond. Don't, don't be someone who's on the outside looking in. Don't, don't think that, uh, well, I, I always have to go through this alone. I have to go th through this by myself. You know what I found out? You don't have to unless you choose to. But if you want to, God will let you. But I tell you, there's somebody that will never leave you, never forsake you. The Holy Spirit abiding in us to comfort us, teach us, give us peace. is something that every person here needs. Now I know that you may have thoughts and feelings and experiences that I don't have this morning and maybe you're here today and you feel like you're extremely alone and you're actually dreading the next few days and a lot of people do but this is what I know if you're plugged into the family of God 
There's something special about this season. No matter when you celebrate, there's something special about this season that draws us in, as Matthew does and as Luke does, in this Christmas season, in, in, in this uh, word that we read and we, we see unfold. There's something supernatural here that grips our hearts, and certainly it does mine, and I think it does yours. So I want you to leave today with a great deal of hope. And if you feel alone, I want you to push that to the side and take hold of something else, and that's that I'm part of something much bigger than I am. And there's going to be times in the future, and we've all experienced this, that we felt so alone and no one cared. And that's the part we have to overcome because God is always with us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And we shall always be a child of God if we connect and hold on to him. Can I hear an amen to that? Would you bow your head with me this morning? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.